Let's prepare to hear God's word by again going to him in prayer. Our Lord and our God, our gracious and compassionate, our kind and loving Lord, we pray that you work in each one of us today. Lord, as we hear your word, speak to each one of us through your word and your spirit. We open ourselves up to you and ask that you convict us where we need convicting, that you challenge us where we need challenge, and that you show us your comfort and kindness where we simply need to be encouraged and guided today. Father, we ask that you work in us. Amen. So this morning, again, we are beginning a new sermon series on the book of Ruth. We're calling this sermon series, The Full Harvest of Kindness, because in Ruth, in Ruth, the book goes from emptiness to fullness. The book goes from famine to harvest. The book goes from things not being how they are supposed to be and life being just hard to seeing how very, very kind God and also His people are. So the next couple months, really, we'll be focusing on the book of Ruth and the full harvest of kindness. And before we read the first few verses today, I, I want to try to get us all in a particular mindset so that we hear this book the way it wants to be read, the way it wants to be heard. So as Pastor Dave mentioned in his prayer, we did move this week. We moved to a larger house. It's wonderful. It's amazing. We are so happy to be there, so blessed by the congregation's generosity. It is a wonderful place. But moving is awful. And there is chaos, and there is things that get lost. All of our kids got sick this week. You probably hear that I have a bit of cold or allergies going on. So I want to put you all in the mindset of, of, think of, think on the one hand of a really miserable moving experience. We've all had them, where it's chaotic and life is too full and there is so much going on and you don't quite know what to do, but also picture, picture a wonderful resolution to a move when everything came together and all was well. In the book of Ruth, where it is in the Bible, how it presents itself, how it develops, wants us to, to have both of that sense of, of stepping into a time of chaos and trouble, and yet of knowing that the story ends wonderfully well by God's kindness. So have, have those tensions, have both of those things in mind as we step into the first six verses of the book of Ruth this morning. And hear now the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite woman, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. This is the word of the Lord. So Ruth sets the stage, and we're going to set the stage for ourselves with the point that in the days of Judges, in the days of the Judges, there was a famine. In the days of the Judges, there was a famine. And, and we've sort of put ourselves there with moving, but I want you to think about now 
childhood playground experiences and not the positive ones, all right? Not the fun playground times. And I, I remember when I was in elementary school that, and I will implicate myself in some of this, we'd play a lot of playground games with the other boys in elementary school. And of course, there were some boys, there were some boys who always cheated. And usually it was the boys who didn't need to cheat because they were the most athletic and they were the best soccer players and the best basketball players, but they still cheated. And then there were the boys who would agree on the rules and then they would change the rules and say, no, 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 this is the real game. This is how we play it. And then there were the boys, and this was the group I tended to be part of, who were like, no, we're going to play the rules the way we agreed, and if not, I'm going to punch you in the nose. And then the teacher would break us up and recess would be over, and the next day it would all happen over again, over and over and over. And I went to a really nice, pleasant little Christian grade school, but man, the playground was chaos. Well, Ruth wants us to realize that it's speaking into a time of chaos. It, it usually, when we hear the word in the days of, we expect to hear, and in most of the Old Testament, we hear a king. In the days of this king or that king, so Ruth starts out with, in the days of, and we should expect a king and good things, and instead it goes, in the days of the judges. And if you know anything about the judges, about this time period that Ruth happens in, and it's the book right before Ruth, it is awful. It starts out kind of okay. The first couple of judges are decent guys, people you might want to have as neighbors, and they do what God calls them to do, but the judges get worse and worse over the book. And by the time we get to the last judge to Samson, he is just awful. This is not a man you want to meet. And then after that, in a section of Judges that we really hardly ever preach on and never really talk about, there's this civil war among God's people, and they almost wipe out one of the tribes to the point the tribe says, we're going to die out. And the solution is human trafficking. The other tribes tell that tribe, go and kidnap some women so you can have wives so your tribe will continue. And this is where God's people are. This is the context we step into in Ruth, in the days when the judges ruled. There is this downward spiral that goes on and on and on, and people keep doing the same terrible things except doing them worse than the time before, and then at the end of the book of Judges, they hit rock bottom. So we're in the time of the Judges, and there is a famine. There is a famine. And there is a lot of irony in the setting of these verses that Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread, and in Bethlehem, of all places, there is no bread. Things are terrible to begin with. Life is full of chaos, and now it gets even worse. Now nature itself is against the people. There is chaos, and there is famine. And Ruth doesn't go into great detail on this, but, but we think that this is not just historical stuff, but there's a theological, there's, there's a meaningful level here of the text saying to us, realize that this is terrible. Hear that this is a context where everything plus everything else has gone wrong. And one of the recurring themes, perhaps the recurring theme in the book of Judges is, in that day there was no king and everyone did as they saw fit. And that day there was no king, and everyone did as they saw fit, and it was chaos and famine. And as I was reflecting on this the past couple weeks, that 
that in some respects sounds a lot like our world today. Now, we don't literally have famine here in America, but, but chaos? The last few years? Chaos. And our, our cultural slogan, if we have one these days, is you do you. Let everyone do as they see fit. There is no king. This is the world of Ruth, and it's also our world. That things are chaotic, that things are not right, that things are not how they are supposed to be. And so what do we do in that world? And what Ruth shows us this particular family does, this family of Elimelech does, is they leave. They leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, and they go to Moab, and in Moab they live for a while. And again, we can read that on just the, well, this happened narrative level, but I think there's a reason to read more into that. You know, on the playground, as, as everyone kind of misbehaved in their particular ways, there was this one boy, and, and I actually liked him a lot. He was a good friend of mine, wonderful guy. He was always small for his age, so he was kind of the little kid, and, and so he had some struggles on the playground, and, and he had this great idea that he started doing at some point when we play soccer that he'd switch teams to whatever team was ahead. So we'd score, going, I'm on your team, yeah! And then the other team would score, going, I'm on your team, yeah! And he'd go back and forth the whole time. Every day, and he seemed to think we wouldn't catch on to this. But every day, the little, and I liked him outside of recess, but at recess, oh, Brian, I'm on your team. No, you're not. Well, when we hear that Elimelech and his family moved to Moab, we should hear that he's being Brian like that. I'm on the winning team. There's no food in Bethlehem? I'll move to Moab. There's food there. In the text, actually, it's translated as country of Moab. What it literally says is they move to the fields of Moab. They leave the house of bread where God has brought his people in the promised land, and Elimelech moves his family to Moab, to a place outside the promised land, to the fields there where, where their life will be how it's supposed to be. Now, there are, there are a couple ways that we can read this part of the story, and, and I've already tipped my hand about which way I think it goes, but there are a couple options that we should have in front of us. And one option, if we put ourselves in Elimelech's place, is, is to say, look, I'm living in Bethlehem. I know this is the promised land, but there is no food here. There is no food. My family does not have enough to eat, but over there, there is food, so I'm going to take care of my family, and I don't like it, I don't love it, but I am moving to where my family will be taken care of. There is a way, I think, that we can be sympathetic to Elimelech, and, and the text leaves that open, and that's a genuine possibility. But there's another way that we can read what Elimelech does here, and I think this is the better way, but again, you can, you can go either way, but I think we should read Elimelech as being treacherous, as being in a time when things get hard and he just bails. When he says, ah, it's not good there, I'll go somewhere else. And Elimelech's name literally means, my God is king. Eli, my God, Melach, king. My God is king. And what Elimelech is doing in moving to Moab is, is he's not living up to his name. He's declaring that, in fact, the Lord God who brought the people to Israel is not his king, because if you have a king, you serve him in good times and bad. And what Elimelech is doing is saying, ah, things aren't so great, I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. Now, bring that to today. We're in a time of, we're in a time of chaos. 
life is often hard. Things often are not going how we want. And, and I think there's a way where we can put ourselves in a limitless situation and say, look, things are just hard. It is hard to be a Christian. It is hard to follow God. It is, it is hard to hold the line of, of believing the right things and doing the right things. And, and I don't like it and I don't love it, but, but I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to be a little bit more casual about my faith because these are the places, these are the ways that I can really find life for me and my family these days. So, so my heart's still in Bethlehem, but, but I'm going to live like the Moabites do, just for a while, just for a while. That's us sometimes. But I think what we see more of around us and what is a much, much more real, perhaps more fundamental thing is that we say, you know what? God hasn't lived up to His end of the bargain I'm out of here. I'm going to do what I want, how I want, when I want. And ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since Adam and Eve, this has been the default state of humanity that, that I'm going to do me. And if God lines up with it, that's great. But if not, he ain't my king. I'm the king. And I'm going to do what I want. So I think Ruth in just these first couple verses is really, really packing a pretty hard punch for God's people and saying, what are you doing? Are you doing what God says, or are you doing what you want to do? And in a day when we, we don't have physical famine, where all of us, by, by standards of global, global wealth, all of us are rich, rich people, and we can do whatever we want, really, are we doing whatever we want, or are we doing what God calls us to do, even if it's hard? And maybe we're more in, in this kind of a limelight situation, where where really we want to follow God, but we just can't see how that can work. Maybe sometimes we're there. And maybe just as often we're in a place where we're more, you know, God, you're okay, but, but I got a better deal over here. The text wants to invite us to reflect on if we are really holding on to God as our king or if we want to be the king or the queen. So the text takes us to Moab. And then in Moab, for Elimelech and his family, life just empties out. Life just empties out. It's like that time in, time in the playground where, where Brian, for a little while, manages to fool people and think, oh, he's on my team, I'll pass him the ball. But you have about two times of switching teams before you're done. And nobody's going to pass you the ball because nobody trusts a traitor. Nobody trusts a double agent. And so Brian pretty quickly can't play soccer at all because I don't care what team you're on. There's, you're not trustworthy. And so he has to go and do something else because nobody wants him on their team anymore. And you know, for all the other stuff, the, uh, the boys who cheat at the games and then the fistfights start, well, the teacher comes over. And, and I remember in second grade, I had a teacher who I think was only about this tall. And I'm not joking. She was about this tall. But man, she got her way. And if you started a fight on the playground, there were penalties, and you paid, and recess was not fun anymore. And often that's how life works for us, that if we do things wrong, there are consequences. We don't always love them, we don't always like them, we don't always see them coming, but when we do things wrong, there are consequences. And that happens to Elimelech and his family. 
And again, you can read this a little more, just this happens, or you can read this as, as what's sometimes called covenant consequences, that the Lord, when He gives the Ten Commandments, when, when He gathers His people at Sinai and says, I will be your God and you will be my people, He says, if we get along and if we keep this relationship, these kinds of things will happen. But if you break this relationship, these kinds of things will happen. And what's happening here in Ruth is, is the covenant consequences, the bad things. So Elimelech moves his family to Moab, and, and it seems like instead of just being there for a little while, they go for a while, and then they settle down, and they're there for more than a decade. And then along the line, Elimelech dies, and he's buried in a foreign land. And in the ancient Near East, to be buried in a foreign land was just about the worst possible thing. And then his sons, Malon and Kilion, well, they live up to their names, and their names mean something like weak and sickly. So his two sons get married, and they, they live for a decade as married men, but they have no children, which in the ancient Near East was a tremendous burden. And, and then they're weak and they're sickly. They both die. And say Naomi. Naomi, who at one point had life look really good for her, she ends up with no husband, no sons, no grandchildren, as a widow in a foreign land. And for Orpah and Ruth, they have married into this family that immigrated, and, and now they have nothing left. And in the ancient Near East, widow was pretty much synonymous with victim. Things are not going to go well for this family. When you leave Bethlehem and you go to Moab, life empties out. Now, we need to be we need to be careful when we read about this suffering, when we think about the suffering in our own lives, that, that some of us have this burden that, what did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong, and God is punishing me. And, and the book of Job pretty clearly shows us, I think Scripture pretty clearly shows us that we cannot say, bad thing happens to me, therefore I have done something wrong. There are times in this broken world when there isn't that direct connection. And so there may be there may be some things as you read this text that you just say, that describes my life, and I don't know what I did wrong. Maybe all you did wrong was be born in a broken world. But Ruth gives us permission to, to recognize that. But maybe, maybe you have done something wrong. Maybe in your life, in some respect, you have turned away from the Lord. Maybe as we read those Ten Commandments earlier, there was one that jumped out at you or one that you intentionally, mentally shut your ears for because, oh, I don't covet that much or I don't, I don't do that that much. There are times in our lives when there is a direct line between us doing what is wrong and us experiencing empty consequences. And part of that is just how life is built. The Lord made this world for us to enjoy living with Him, and, and He made us to live in certain ways. And whenever we, whenever we strike out against that, whenever we step out of the Lord's ways, things inherently go wrong. You can't get the right result out of doing the wrong thing. And so one of the questions that Ruth here at the beginning wants us to be asking and wants, wants the Old Testament people to be asking, wants God's people of all time to be asking are we stepping out of the covenant? Are we stepping away from the Lord? Are we doing things our own way? Are we living in the time of judges when everyone does whatever they see fit and chaos is the result? Is that how we're living? And you know what? If you can look at your life and you can say, no, I'm sin-free, 
then I'm guessing that the sin you're currently practicing is pride. All of us are broken. All of us, in some sense or another, are living in a world that is full of famine. And, and thankfully, we aren't living in physical famine, but, but emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually, there are things in all of our lives that are not right. Moab is always a temptation. But whenever we leave what God has provided for us and we seek other pastures, in the end, our lives empty out. And so I, I want to challenge you today. Where, where have you maybe been, well, I'll just be there for a while, but instead you've settled down? What other gods or other causes are you serving instead of the Lord? What are you, what are you looking to to give your life hope, to give your life meaning, to give you what you are hungry for. And if you are in Moab in any sense, then I can tell you that sooner or later, life will empty out for you. It will. If you turn away from the Lord, all you find in the end, all we can ever find is death. But this text doesn't stop there. It could. But the story of Ruth goes on and on, and it gets better and better. And even in this text, even just six verses in, we see God acting. And it's fairly subtle, but it's there. The Lord, in Bethlehem and in Moab, the Lord comes to the aid of His people. And I want you to note how, how verse 6 says that. It doesn't say, oh, when Naomi heard there was food again in Bethlehem, it says, when Naomi heard that the Lord had come to the aid of his people and there was food in Bethlehem. Because you see, God is always at work even when we are unfaithful. Even when we have moved away and we have settled in Moab and we, Moab and we have gotten on with life there. Even when it seems like things have been all emptied out and we have nothing left. No matter what, God is still at work for his people. The Lord comes to our aid. As we sang this morning, his mercy is more. It is not just that the famine in Bethlehem, the house of bread, has ended. It's that the Lord, the Lord has ended the famine, and he has brought food back to Bethlehem, the house of food. And so Naomi hears this, and Naomi sets out to go back to Bethlehem, and Orpah and Ruth begin the journey with her, and, and we'll pick that up more next week with how that journey goes but for now, note this. God came with his kindness. When these people, when this family had turned their back on the Lord, when they had moved out and moved on, when they were done with God, God wasn't done with them. And so with us too. Even when we move out and move on, or even when we just edge away and we have some other thing going on the side, God is not done with us. The Lord is not done with you. He is always working to aid and to help us. He is the one who provides what we need. He is the one who gives food for us. He takes our place. So I read a, a story as a child that has haunted me ever since, and it's, it's a Ray Bradbury story, and, and it starts, it's called The Playground, and it starts out on a really rough playground. 
The kids are beating each other up, and it's awful, but, but the way this society is set up, and it's science fiction, it's fantasy, it's not real, but the way Ray Bradbury sets this story up is, is that there is this awful rite of passage that every kid in this town has to spend their days at the playground while their parents are at work. And kids are getting knocked down, kids are getting beaten up, the playground equipment is dangerous, it's awful. And there is this father whose son is about to about to hit the age where he's going to have to go to the playground. And the father stops there one day on the way home from work, and he is just terrified for his child. And then there is this strange child who comes over on the playground and says, you're scared, aren't you? You should be. But there's a way out. And this strange child gives the father the option that if he takes his son's place on the playground, his son will be safe. And the father agonizes because it's, it's hard. You get knocked down, you get beat up. But at the end of the story, he decides to take his son's place. God our Father. God our Father knows what's in all of our hearts. He knows how broken this world is. He knows how rough it is out there. And so he came and he took our place. And in Jesus Christ, God came down to our messed up, beat up playground and he took on the worst of it. He took on the punishments that we deserve, the, the trouble that we don't deserve but get anyway. Jesus took all of that on for us. When we were off in Moab, the Lord came and he provided for us. And so however hard your life is, whatever struggles you're facing, the Lord, the Lord has been there. And the Lord has provided a way for you to have what you need. The Lord's Prayer has this praise, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And that, that prayer is, for one thing, for us to have enough bread, for us to be in a place like Bethlehem where, where we do have houses that are full of food. But much more than that, I think that that prayer is for the Lord to teach us that He provides what we need. That no matter how bad our lives are, no matter how tough things get, the Lord will provide. He will provide our daily bread, even in our times of famine. And so today, like Naomi, like Ruth, I invite you to hear the good news that there is food in Bethlehem, that the Lord has provided what we need, and so let us respond. Let us turn our eyes back toward the Lord and come back to Him out of our time of chaos and trouble. Let's pray. Father, you have brought each of us here for a reason. And Lord, we would ask that you help us to see and to receive what that reason is. Lord, if we are in a time of unbelievable suffering and trouble, then we ask that you just bring us to Bethlehem. Bring us to the land of food. Bring us to your house where we can see Jesus and know that he provides for us. And we ask that today you give us our daily bread. And Father, if we have been living in Moab, loud and proud, then we ask that you, as hard as it is, we ask that you break us and bring us home. Help us to recognize that we are living in the land where life just empties out and to, and to set our course back home to you. Father, you know what each of us needs. We ask that you give each of us our daily bread. Amen.